0: Hey everyone, it's Laura. Thank you so much for helping me disrupt the forces of materialism by tuning into this podcast. This is the last episode in my season on befriending death, and I am just so delighted to be joined by my brother, Connor Habib. Wow. This guy, he's so smart. And because I'm his older sister, I know he gets it from me. (laughs) Seriously, though, we talk about how connecting with the dead enriches life and enriches our living relationships as well. The cultural narrative around death and the story that death is the end and how we reject that story again and again. We just don't believe that death is the end. We have a lot of fun in this episode, sort of poking at each other and investigating things together. And I think you'll enjoy it hopefully as much as I did because I certainly laughed a lot. Even though the topic is quite serious, you'll hear me refer to Connor's podcast, Against Everyone with Connor Habib, and particularly episode 150, The Spiritual Politics of the Dead. I definitely recommend you check this out, and I'll make sure to have the link in the show notes. I would like to invite you to my free workshop with Laura Embry on befriending death. We're going to do some beautiful form drawing and also have a conversation about connecting with the dead and our experiences with that. So, hop over to my website, laurascapaticci.com, and click on the little banner on the top, and you can register. The workshop is coming up on November 10th, 2021. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to That Good May Become with me, Lara Scappaticci, where we learn to illuminate the esoteric in our everyday lives. Hi, Connor. How you doing?
1: Hi, I'm good.
0: <laughs> we are here to talk about death, dying, staying connected with the dead. And I just listened to episode 150 of Against Everyone with Connor Habib. That's you. And it uh, was really mind-blowing. I mean, you've always been, you know, the smart one. So I was impressed with your uh, French philosopher stance throughout the entire thing, but also how relatable you were. I want to ask you, one of the things you say in this episode, I'm just going to jump right in, is the world around us is the kingdom of the dead. So can Mm. you talk about that? That's just really affected me.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which that is true. Um, And one of the sort of... The sort of funny ways in which people talk about it is, oh, it's the kingdom of the dead because everything's made out of dead dinosaurs, right? But also, um, or like, there's that joke of someone making a plastic dinosaur toy out of oil, which is made from dead dinosaurs. Um, <clears throat> so that is the profound, even though it's a joke. Um, the ground beneath our feet, you know, the, the probably the house you're in right now has been the home of someone who died in that home. Um, there's probably someone buried not too far from where you are. There's probably been ghosts sighted in the room you're standing in or wherever you are right now. Or maybe if you're on a subway, ghosts on a subway when you're listening to this. But more than that, the dead are always with us. Um, they're with us in the acts that they committed when they were alive, like I was saying before. Furniture, plastics, where you live, books that are written, art that's been made. But they're also with us whenever we think of them. And they're also with us even when we're not thinking of them, albeit in a different way. The dead are woven into the constitutive forces of the cosmos, the forces that make us. When we die, we become those forces again. So, it's as if um, everything that's streaming towards us to constantly make us to fend off the entropy that would pull our bodies into death and therefore take away the vessel that was our, uh, our home um, or our address is woven throughout with the dead.
0: Yeah. Thanks for illuminating that a little further. I really think it hit me so much when you're talking about like art and poetry and how we read these things. And it's like the dead are just in the room with us all the time in, in everything we see. So I have this painting hanging on the wall that's, you know, quite old. And I know that the person that created that is not here on this planet anymore. And, you know, there's a blanket on my bed, a really old quilt that's there from somewhere in, you know, Pennsylvania, Dutch country. And I don't know, a myriad of other things. And so there are life forces. I like how you're talking about that as well. Um, And I think let's get back to that in a little bit. I want to ask you a personal question. It's related to me. No, I'm, I'm just joking. It's related <laughs> to us. <laughs> um, do you? So think, you. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so me. It's all about me. So do you think we would be, maybe you don't consider yourself obsessed with death, Um, but I think you are. But if you, <laughs> do you think we would be as obsessed with death if we hadn't lost our mom when we were in our 20s? Hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't really consider myself obsessed with death. <laughs> so this, <laughs> this is that moment on the show where <laughs> I dethrone your notion here. <sighs> um it's just like last time. No, I, know. I don't consider myself obsessed with death. But I but certainly it was important, you know, a moment, not I mean abstracted from if that's possible, the fact that it was our mother dying. Yeah. Um that encounter with death at an early age, I mean it kind of if anything, it made me less obsessed with death. Um, mm. I just was like, Oh, okay. Like this, this is what happens. Um, I mean, I, I saw mom when the moment before she died. So, you know, I, what I mean by that for people listening, cause I've talked to you about this, I think, but it's like, you know, when she died in hospice care in our home, um, or in her home, I guess, what, you know, I was in the, my bedroom was in the room above the room where she was in hospice care. So I was upstairs and I was uh, taking a nap or whatever. And she had been basically out of it for a while at that point. And, you know, and she weighed, I don't know she was like, like 70 pounds or something like that. By the Mm -hmm. time she was tiny
0: and
1: skeletal almost. Um, And she appeared next to the bed and you know was just completely composed and had sort of white I know they're not garments but they look like garments like white garments flowing off of her and you know I I said something to her she said something to me but I said something to her which I remember um which I can interpret in in a lot of different ways and then when she then our stepfather called from downstairs, who also recently died, died a few weeks ago. But he called from downstairs and said, hey, would you come down here? I think it's time. And then I went downstairs and she died. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so while that didn't somehow just cure me of feeling any grief or whatever, and certainly the next year I walked around in a bit of a haze. I mean, I was twenty three at the time and turned 24 that year, but I you know I was out of it. Um it still like <laughs> changes your life real quick when you're that young and your mother dies. Mm-hmm. Um reprioritizes things, made me a lot nicer, um made me think about death differently. It wasn't until much later when someone else in my life died though that I became Completely, um, what do I say? Um, Not convinced, that's not the right word, but just, oh, engaged with the world of the dead and knew that it was not, um, that it wasn't the end or whatever. Because even in that moment with her, with mom, it was like, okay, maybe this is just the moment of the passing into the next phase and there is a complete and utter wall and I didn't have a developed. Really developed spirituality then either so i didn't quite understand how to interpret that i just knew that it's, this event happened you know and later i found out people call that a crisis apparition that's very 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 common <laughs> um hmm.
0: i don't know so, about that
1: yeah when someone dies and you're not around that i mean this is interesting because she was right downstairs but a lot of times you know if someone knows somebody who dies they you know who's who's has just died, say someone dies in an accident or something, the person will see them. Like they'll appear as a phantom mm-hmm. or a specter or a ghost or whatever in that moment is a very common experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned that, but I, it still didn't, it didn't necessarily change my views of death, but it, but it lessened the fear for sure mm-hmm. or lessened the obsession in a lot of ways. Um, not totally because I had my own sort of brushes with death after that, but not, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So her appearance, which I don't think I heard that story in that level of detail, um, gave you some sort of perspective, a new perspective on what it meant to die. And like that there was something past dying in some way, but you were still under growing in your understanding of what that might be. And I think you really go into that a bit more when you talk about the inward encounter we have with people that have died. You also talk about, so you just talked about the crisis apparition. In the episode with Michelle Mariscal, we're talking about grief and loss. And one of the things she talks about is her brother um, coming to her and talking to her, so you you had this visual sort of experience. If I I don't know if it was through your actual eyes or some other you know spiritual organ <laughs> in your mind, but she had this very auditory experience of him. But you talk about the idea of seance and Ouija boards and mediumship and things like that being different than the inward encounter we have with people that have died. Can you say a little more about that inward encounter? And yeah, I I don't want to dismiss anybody that's doing like medium work or, or things like that. I feel like sometimes you, people leave their own eye and ego behind when they do that. And that can get a little tricky. Um, Doesn't mean I'm not (laughs) curious.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, everybody. So just with the precursor of what I'm about to say, like, or like the warning or whatever, like. People are called to do all sorts of stuff um, that others might find objectionable for a variety of reasons. Um, So when I say these things about mediums and Ouija boards and that kind of stuff, I'm not saying nobody should do it. I'm just saying probably a lot of people that do shouldn't. (laughs) But some people are genuinely called on these paths and it's not always easy to know who's who. Um, It's the same thing I think about doing say hallucinogenic drugs or whatever. I just think it's not really the best way to go, but some people are genuinely, that is what they're meant to do. So I'm not going to be the one that's the arbiter of who's who there just to say, maybe (laughs) check your path, you know? Right. Um,
0: Right. And how your body's doing and how your psyche's doing and all those. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, I mean, I think that the, the mediumship and séances and all that kind of stuff it's it it is an attempt to physicalize the presence of the dead um to rematerialize something that has rightfully and meaningfully dematerialized um and i think that that is it's something that's kind of painful i mean think about like <laughs> Maybe let's put it this way. Like, if you have an image of, I don't know, a dragon or a cat or something like that in your head, and it's like really formed there and you really like it, okay, try to draw it. Now, some people can really draw well, <laughs> but most people will create this really deformed, distorted version of the thing. Or maybe if you're good at drawing, like try to sing a song that you really like and like hear it, you know, sort of squawk out of your maw, you know, because you can't <laughs> sing well you mean, or whatever like, it is.
0: Without it playing in the background when you think you're singing it so great. Like, like Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whatever. Yeah.
1: You know, like a, like drawing something from the Non material world, and e- even those things do have a material aspect, a materialist aspect to them because they're images and sounds. But trying to draw them into the physical plane always creates a kind of distortion. So imagine now you're taking a living being, uh, or a dying, or a dead being, or an after living being, <laughs> and you're trying to translate it into physical presence. It's not going to feel good, um, not going to feel good for whoever. You're doing that to or with, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a lot of cramming them into stuff and also allows for a lot to sort of come in with them unless you know exactly how to make that passageway. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that is all tricky business and that's not to dissuade people from exploring that. And there are certainly people and traditions that can guide you in knowing how to do that. Mm -hmm. But the inner experience, yeah, that's much different. I mean, it's different with everything. So, of course, it's different with the dead as well, where um, the presence of them is wed with the presence of you. Um, They arrive now. They're always there. Um, But they arrive into attentiveness. um, Or they arrive through attentiveness. Or let me just say they're always there but you notice that they're there through the arrival of your own attentiveness. (laughs) How about that?
0: I mean, it's just like I'm in my room right now. If I bring my attention to this pair of earrings that's hanging up on my jewelry rack, they're much more there than if I was just looking at the whole thing or having my eyes go around the room. So then I'm there and I'm like admiring them and noticing them and like looking at their qualities. And when you do that, that's when a connection can be very... Uh, very strong is that what you're saying yeah. yeah okay well
1: yeah i mean it's more than that i mean it's like if you think it they've arrived you mm-hmm. know or if you think it if you think their name or their voice they're already there it's just sort of like um the announcement of you knowing that they're there if that makes sense
0: mm-hmm yeah so the name and and I've talked about this in a few episodes, the name I feel is so important yes. and the voice I have a question for you. can you still hear Mom's voice?
1: Can in you- the way that I can hear anybody's voice in my head um it's it's there and also kind of messed up. I can hear certain words,
0: you know mm-hmm. I mean,
1: I can hear her say my name for sure um-huh, nice. I can hear certain things, but it's kind of like a. If you ever try to do an impression of someone,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, there's a, or like an accent or something. There's always one word that can lead you into being able to do the accent. So, like sometimes I have these kinds of pathway words through which mm. to get, you know, more words. Um, hmm. But what I mean, actually, because I'm not saying them out loud and they're not sounds, is. Uh, more presence, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's a nice way to connect with the voice because when I listened to your podcast, I was like, oof, like, I don't think I have that. Sometimes I feel like I hear her say something to me, but is it in her voice? And you talk about this later too, which was a little confusing, um, frankly, and maybe you can illuminate that <laughs> since we're talking about <laughs> staying connected with the dead right now. Um, you, you basically said when you hear someone's, when you hear the dad talking to you, you're talking to them. And when you're talking to them, they're talking to you. Can you, what, like what? (laughs) I mean, I sort of get what you're saying, but I would really have to sit down for about an hour and think about it in more detail because... I, I guess i wonder that. I think people wonder that with voices all the time. Like it's like, you know, we would call that clairaudience, right? Like you hear, you hear things and clairvoyance is when you see things. So if you are, when you hear things, where is it coming from? And people always say, oh, that, those are the, vo- they can be the voices in your head or are they actual spiritual beings or what, what do you mean with this, with the dead?
1: For, I'm not talking about clairaudience or clairvoyance or anything like that. I mean, I'm not talking about when you hear something in your ear, although that could be part of it, but that's not what I was primarily talking about on the episode. Um, I'm mostly just talking about when you hear someone speaking in your head, like when you hear the voice of the dead. So hear is not the correct word, right? Um, but when you encounter the voice of the dead person, inwardly um especially if when you're when you've made the decision to be evocative um inwardly and have the conversation what you say to them is them speaking and what they say to you is you speaking and why should that be because well i don't completely know why it should be i'm not like that (laughs) level yet (laughs) but there's like um But if if you consider that you're doing the work to bring them to you by thinking spoken words to them inwardly. (laughs) Okay. So if inwardly I'm like to my friend, Jake who died a couple of years ago, if I'm like, Hey Jake. Okay. Maybe that's not him. Right. Because I'm initiating that. But the, but the response is also in me and the and the subsequent follow up to the response is also within me right so it's all within me mm. so the you know in the same way that when we have dreams we it's it's all within us and yet we can be surprised in a dream that's very strange right so when the dead are communicating within us in our inner landscape um, the feeling of what they're trying to get across is accompanied by a sensation of willing something to be within us. Whereas the automatic that arises in us is just the normal thought process within us. So in other words, an inner feeling of will connected with the presence of a voice that's what happens when we speak inwardly but that's the voice of the dead when we've evoked the dead within us
0: Hmm. i
1: know that's that's uh, uh, still probably confusing but um there's only so much you can do to explain these things without (laughs) being confusing
0: well and (laughs) i think you have to experience it too i mean honestly it feels kind of like I think I failed trig in high school. It feels a little bit like trigonometry. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? Like, it's just, like, right outside my... It's like a, a difficult math problem to me somehow. Um, because this equals this, well, and we this can try again. this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, I, I kind of get
1: it. Let's solve for dead. Um, so the... Let's so solve the,
0: for dead equals dead. Go ahead. Yeah, so,
1: like, okay, so here's the dialogue. Okay. Hi, Jake. Hi, Jacob Campbell. Okay. That's my friend, right? Hi, Jacob Campbell. Um, and then I, then I feel his presence around I'm, I'm just saying all this. I'm not actually getting into it cause I'm saying out loud, but I'm just mm-hmm. like, hi. And then I kind of feel his presence, right? Like I can see his face. I can hear his voice. Maybe I'm remembering something we did. So that's memory. And then I might ask like, what do you need from me right now? I might ask him that. Or I might ask, like, can you help me with this problem? Now, that's where it begins. Those questions are his questions to me. Hmm. And when I answer accessing the memory of him, the presence of him, that's my interwovenness with him responding. Hmm. So the will which creates a sort of separation or uh, maybe not separation, but a different sensation of thought, what do you need help with? Can you help me with this problem? That is woven into the dead person arriving. Mm -hmm. It's not all, it's not all as simple as I'm saying, by the way. I mean, it's much more complicated because a lot of times these conversations don't happen in words either. Right. So when I say the voice of the dead, Or the dead speak, or I'm speaking to the dead. It may be in something that's uh, almost indescribable sensations Mm -hmm. that are not quite words. So there's also that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can, I think that's akin to, for me, if I have, you know, spiritual experiences in nature, I'm not necessarily like, yo, walnut tree, how you doing today? Yeah. Right. And it's not words. There's, there's something else tangible in some, right. some sense form happening. I'm not like smell, taste, touch, you know, say, hearing that kind of thing. But there's some sense that there's an exchange happening there. So I could see that it could be more – it's not as straightforward as I hear this, I hear this. We, we, we do yeah. always try to pin it down to the physical senses we have here. Everything. I, I mean, so and much. And the
1: language we use to describe and those.
0: Ex- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know <laughs> – That's, that's not, uh, that's limiting in in some ways. It's, we're really trying, we're trying to bring it into this vessel we've created with these words and, you know, these tangible things in front of us, but it's, (laughs) it's, it's not the whole picture. And I think when you develop your spiritual, your capacity for spiritual perception, other things open up. And so beyond physical senses, right? So then, but it's still hard to describe, like. I think of these amazing spiritual teachers and how they are attempting to describe (laughs) their experiences. And some people, Uh how did they do it? You know, they, they do a pretty good job. I, sometimes I can't even describe what happened to me that day. Like, you know, after I got up and took the kids to on my drive to take the kids to school and they're trying to describe these things. So words, words are, are rough and confining sometimes. Unless you yeah, practice what you do, you practice a lot,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I also you know, just to say, like back to your walnut tree, like, yeah, understanding our communication with the dead illuminates our understanding of how we communicate with all sorts of things, other people who are still living, you know, um trees, animals, all that, as far as anything that's not a person the communication is very different. Um, and I'm not, I don't necessarily feel comfortable using the word communication. Although I mean, I just have to think about it. Not like I'm saying, no, don't use that word, but I'd have to think about it. But you know, like we learn about our impressions, you know, when, when we examine our communication with the dead and our communication with the living. I mean, I've even learned how to be better in love and be a more loving person by reflecting on how I interact with the dead because Mm -hmm. I begin to understand love and relationship as principles that are not constrained by time and space and therefore start moving away from materialist understanding of what it means to be in love. And I learned that from communicating with the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can learn all sorts of things from this communication and certainly the impression of the walnut tree and its surroundings and the way it's growing and its life and the spiritual beings that are in here in it and the, the place where it is, its location and your memories of the walnut tree and your memories of eating walnuts. If you remember that and all that kind of stuff, that all can be helped along by investigating how you relate with the dead and how you communicate with the dead and how they communicate with you.
0: I like the idea of the way that we understand and connect with those that have died being a sort of a microcosm of a picture of how we connect with the living and all of our different kinds of relationships. I think if people look at that a bit more... They'll have a better understanding of their own relationships now, and um, how they can where their disconnect is, where they're where they're rushing, where they're taking their time, where there's a gap, all, all of those things. I was also thinking about how you you talked about you know sort of space and time, and there were these cathedrals that people would start in days of yore. <laughs> I don't know exactly what time period, but they would like start them and in, in it would take five hundred years for them to build them. But it didn't matter to the people that started them because they had this devotion or this love to um having this cathedral built and having it be a place for people and so much. What, what that would mean to the community, whether they were alive or dead when it was completed. So they weren't thinking of it as in this moment, you know, like YOLO, this cathedral, like I, I got to get it done now. It was like, no, it was built for the future. And so I I don't know how, can you relate to that at all? What I'm saying is that our connection and our life and our love is extends past our time here and people don't think in that way anymore like i don't i don't feel like there are people building cathedrals that they're not going to see erected right like it's <laughs> people just don't have that kind of selflessness in a way anymore and so um, whether they were built, you know, for power or whatever they were built, there was something about that, like there's something beyond me and I can start this now and not worry about seeing the fruition of it in this life. So I think there's some something in an understanding of um, time and the, the endless stream of time, if you will, that um, people connected with in a different way. And that to me has something to do with a relationship with the dead.
1: Yeah. Well, a few things to say about that. I mean, people, hmm, I I wonder if people don't feel that way anymore or if it's just sort of shuffled into like, I I mean, I think for instance, like if we look maybe like back to world war two or the fifties, like people definitely had an idea of country and, um, industry and technology and all that kind of stuff is going on and on, you know, and now people, you know, would make, you know, still try to make works of art that would outlive them or, you know, whatever, although some of that even is changing. Um, but I think that, you know, some of that has shifted also into ideas of, well, now we've got to save the planet because of, you know this global catastrophe of climate change and all these sorts of thoughts that people have, um, these nervous ideas of the future um, and anxieties about the future and visions of the future and data about the future and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I think that people do have an idea of time beyond them, but it's the way that time is experienced beyond them You know, and I think that that's what you're pointing to with the cathedral thing. It's like there's an experience of time beyond us, which unites us in a certain way. Um, I mean, (laughs) in some ways, I'm kind of like, man, it would really suck to be stuck in a lineage of one cathedral builders. Um, Like that would Mm -hmm. irritate me if I were one of those people because I'd be like, I don't want to be plugged into time in this way. Mm -hmm. But I also think, you know, the dead. The dead are, they relate to time completely differently. Um, I I don't, it's not just that there's longer time, although that is true from a perspective of people that are experiencing time unfold in a logical and linear fashion, but it's also that time itself is, is different. I mean, if space is different, time is different, you know? Um, And so it's not even like it's longer it's not even like it's long time. It's actually, the the structure of time itself is completely different, and we wouldn't even probably call it time if that's what we saw.
0: Right, right. It's one of those concepts that we're trying to make material that doesn't really make sense when you're trying to make it like something we can relate yeah, yeah. to right now. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you can say a little bit more about this concept of we were all already dead. Cause I think that has to do with time in some way too. Uh. And I want to do like a whole season on like reincarnation. Um, yeah. But maybe, maybe it'll just be this episode. So let's, let's see what happens here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think that's it. Like, I mean, you just named it. It's like, we're all like, we talk about dying as if it's a singular instance, but. It's something that happens to all of us many, many, many times. And even if you just wanted to talk about the, you know, from a completely humanist perspective about the ways that we die to ourselves when we have major life changes, the ways that we die through, you know, the turning over of our cellular regeneration, the ways that we die slowly each day. Um, I mean, I think that, it's kind of undeniable that death is always a part of us. I mean, it's, it's funny to think that there's a skeleton in you, (laughs) you know, like that's just weird that there's a walking skeleton just hanging out inside your flesh, you know, Mm -hmm. and you couldn't live without it and it couldn't move without you. And, you know, we, we, and we, and also, you know, psychoanalytically like um, Freud and a lot of other psychoanalysts sort of point to this idea that death is your own death is your pro Your, your death is your project. So your own death is a project that you're constantly working on. Every single little move is your unconscious leading you towards the way you're going to die. Um, All the, all the little moves you make, whether it's how you eat, where you decide to go, who you're in relationship with, you know, the way you decide to cross the street, the the seasons that you uh, of the place that you live in, all that kind of stuff. Your death is your project, and you're working on it until it happens, and it's your only project. Everything else is uh, uh, everything else is in service of that project. Now, I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but it's interesting to think about. So, in that way, you're also always dying, and you're always working on your own death. But reincarnation is the spiritual principle of, you know, um, the death event occurring again and again to all of us um, where we all undergo an extremely meaningful event of dying, of losing the conditions of who we are um, or who we think we are, and having those conditions replaced with new conditions um, on a huge scale on an almost, a scale that almost seems like it's everything. It's not everything. It's almost everything. Mm. <laughs> it's everything. We can put it that way. Mm. Um, and then sort of reassembling, regathering the, um, the carnations, mm. <laughs> regathering all the flowers that we need to make the bouquet, and then we become it again. Um, I always thought that was funny that carnations were like the death flower um, oh, my God. Incarnation, reincarnation. That
0: <laughs> but, is interesting.
1: <laughs> but anyway, um, so, I, I mean, I think I, it just probably has something to do with the word root. um Carne mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. But um, anyway, I think that's it, you know? Like, look, you understand death because you've done it.
0: Um, mm mm-hmm. Neat. I mean, my last blog post, I talk about like how every time I get on a plane or I'd go, I can tell now when I'm about to have some sort of transformation because I always think I'm a, I'm going to die. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, yeah. this is, this is going to happen. And, and I'm like, oh no, no, wait, that means that like something, some huge transformation is going to happen if I start to get this like death anxiety going on. Um so yeah, yeah. yeah, we do. We die all the time. I'm wondering about. Okay, so we have the word re- uh, reincarnation, but I'm also thinking about resurrection. I, 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 I haven't put those two together until you're just talking about how we die and come back, and we die and come back. What are what's the relationship with those for you? I mean, are they, are they the same thing? Right. Are they different? What's?
1: Yeah, I'm sure that there's a there's a continuum. You know, um, I think it's Valentin Tomberg writing anonymously in Meditations on the Tarot, who writes about the connection between forgetting, sleeping, and death, and how those are all on a continuum. And resurrection and reincarnation and waking and remembering are probably all also deeply related. I don't exactly know how. Um, I I just want to go back to your transformation comment first and then see if I can move more towards your second question, which is, you know, again, my friend Jake, when he died, he was the same age as me, childhood friend, and he found out he had pancreatic cancer at 43. Um, and right around the same time he found out his mom had cancer. So it's just really intense moment because they couldn't hold the grieving for each other, you know? And um, anyway, he he called me and told me, and I was like, okay. And I said, well, listen, Jake and I have known each other forever, like I said, but I was like, listen, like you're going to die. And I was like, you're going to, but you know, you're going to die one way or the other. Like either you're going to live because you died or you're going to die, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you'll live again. But, um, you know, are you ready to do all the things that you would do to completely change your life to? take on this cancer thing that's happening for you this event that's happening for you and he wasn't you know um he didn't want to and he was like i don't know i need to think about it and that's not to say okay if he if he had done that differently he would have lived um in you know this this sort of living world i don't i don't know but you know that is certainly one way that people take on the challenge of having of finding out that they have cancer, you know, especially if they're young, like he is for a sort of older person's quote unquote cancer. So I think um, the transformation event, uh, this isn't to scare you, <laughs> but the transformation oh, event God. and the death event can walk hand in hand, yeah. you know, like, yes. um, and, you know, the, so I think in that way, that's also a way in which this connection between Resurrection, you know, like maybe transformation is, you know, sort of like pre-resurrecting yourself before you die or something like that. Um, Or, you know, pre-killing yourself before you Mm -hmm. die so you can be reincarnated real quickly before you have to go through bodily death. I don't know. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... I think if we take this idea of death and just notice all the times we feel connected or repelled by it, there, that's what I did. That's how I figured this out, right? Is, is just looking at the patterns and trying to understand how it connects to the life we're living right now. So that relationship with it, especially if it's a fear, I mean, I I think most people in some way have some kind of fear um of death. I mean, obviously. <laughs> I'm saying something totally stupid, but um, I, I there are people that don't. There are people that don't. I talked to my neighbors the other day and I told them I was doing this podcast and they were like, Oh, we are all about that. They were like, We're just like, <laughs> we're ready to go. Like, we've lived. They they start they were like so excited to talk about it. And so they're they're great. They're they're like fine. We're we'll, we're just gonna hang out and have fun until we go. Like we're fine with that. Um, <clears throat> but you know they are much older and they've witnessed and experienced a lot of death of of their own children, uh, all kinds of things, right? So I I wonder if this this cultivation of a relationship illuminates other patterns and hmm. yeah
1: yeah. I mean, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So here's another one of those moments. I love basically for everyone who's listening, like my sister basically <laughs> had me on the show so I can be like, yeah, all that that you just said, I don't agree with it. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> This is our whole life.
0: Okay. Like I'm not no, I, I'm, I, unaccustomed to this, Connor. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> all
1: right. Yeah. I don't think people are afraid of death. Um, I don't think hmm. almost anybody's afraid of death. I think that one of the reasons, this you know, this whole Ernest Becker cult, yes, um, yes, you know, of oh, we're everything we do is because we're afraid of death, um, and that somehow that is supposed to be a psychoanalytic insight. Well, actually, the psychoanalytic insight I like more is that no, we're always working on our own tasks. I I think. We're, and so, and so, we tend not to think about death. We tend to avoid it. We don't want to talk about it. Blah blah blah. Like I think, actually, we mostly don't think about our own deaths because we know that it doesn't happen. Like we we know that we're reincarnated. We know deep within us that when we die, we transform. That that's a death event. The thing that we're scared of is the cultural narrative around death. That the story, not only is the story meant to frighten us, but and so in some ways we're actually just afraid of the content of the story, but we're afraid that someone would tell us a story that death is the end. And that that is a kind of black magic story that is um reduces us to materiality. And that we don't want to constantly touch that black magic. Like it's not good for us to just keep touching and touching and touching this thing that's like, you are an object oblivion after your system failure occurs. you know, um, Computer gets turned off, the end. And I think that we don't want to encounter that. So I think that's part of what (laughs) we're afraid of, and rightfully so, and we don't want to touch that, go near it too often. It's fine to think about sometimes. And I certainly think that people who... Like my my friend Caitlin Doty, she she writes about death. She's part of this death positive movement, and she would mostly, for most of her life, I, I don't exactly know where she's at with it now, but describe herself as you know a secular humanist, probably an atheist. I don't know, maybe an agnostic, but she helps people come up with a positive attitude towards death. So we can certainly come up with a positive attitude towards death even thinking well this is the end of all the conditions we know about ourselves. But we don't have to um but but that doesn't necessarily mean doing the work of saying nothing happens after you die. I think most of us know something does.
0: Well, and this is why I actually agree with you, Connor. Um, I agree with okay. you because. <laughs>
1: we'll see about that.
0: <laughs> You're going to be like, I don't agree with your agreement with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but because when I think about entering a spiritual conversation with someone, this is an entry point that is so easy. This is a place like, I'm not going to come in and be like, oh, yeah, have you heard about the hierarchies? And or have you um experienced the, you know, clairvoyant, blah, blah, blah. If I'm like, yeah, oh, you lost somebody. And they're like, yeah, I I still like, you know, whenever I see um, a hummingbird. It's that person talking mm-hmm. to me. Like every time. So I think that it is. It's We don't want to approach this narrative of computer off, game over, totally done, annihilation, nothing. Because we don't believe it. We just don't believe it. We, we have experiences that counteract it, that are spiritual experiences all the time and almost everybody. I don't – I really don't know. Please call me or email me if you're that person that has not had anything <laughs> – <laughs> because there's almost always something, yeah.
1: That's beautiful. Yeah, and even if you haven't had it, someone probably has had it around you. So right. it doesn't matter. Exactly. But I. But yeah, you're right. Death just, is death is one of the great. Um, I mean, the, everything can be a portal into mystery, but death is obviously <laughs> death, sex, and love mm-hmm. are probably the ones you know that everybody relates to as mysteries in one way or another. Mm -hmm,
0: Definitely. (sighs) Okay. So I think we've covered a lot of material actually. (laughs) Um, Gotten in a few little scuffs. And so probably our, our time is coming to an end. Maybe we could at this point share a poem. I know that, you have one ready, so I'm just going to turn it over to you. But wait, first, is there anything you didn't get to say that you want to say about this topic?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I say on that episode, the spiritual politics of the dead, is that like in the death realm is where communism actually exists <laughs> in its real form because – Hmm. everything is being drawn upon shared and intermixed with and intermingled in like a very real and beautiful way there. Um, and I, and I think, um, you know, so I don't mean Sovietism, obviously. Right. I mean, like, and so I, I think that like, we can find, the reason I'm bringing that up at the end here is to say we can find all sorts of inspirations from the Hmm. dead. um, inspirations on how to make ourselves, you know, better people on how to think about culture and politics on how to deal with, you know, the walnut tree and how to be in love and how to, I don't know, just, just everything. It's all just right there waiting for you to think it, so that you can recognize it's all right there.
0: The power of just thinking. It's just like, turn it on. And it's right there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Thanks again, Connor. Let's hear that poem.
1: Sure. This poem is called For Grief. And it's by John O'Donohue, who is an Irish mystic poet, philosopher, priest, <laughs> who also died. Um, just like everyone. Um, not too long ago, though. Uh, And I really love most of what he does. And this is a poem by him that I love for grief. When you lose someone you love, your life becomes strange. The ground beneath you gets fragile. Your thoughts make your eyes unsure. And some dead echo drags your voice down where words have no confidence. Your heart has grown heavy with loss, and though this loss has wounded others too, no one knows what has been taken from you when the silence of absence deepens. Flickers of guilt kindle regret for all that was left unsaid or undone. There are days when you wake up happy, again inside the fullness of life, until the moment breaks and you are thrown back onto the black tide of loss. Days when you have your heart back, you're able to function well until the middle of work or encounter, suddenly with no warning, you're ambushed by grief. It becomes hard to trust yourself. All you can depend on now is that sorrow will remain faithful to itself. More than you, it knows its way and will find the right time to pull and pull the rope of grief until that coiled hill of tears has reduced to its last drop. Gradually, you will learn acquaintance with the invisible form of your departed, and when the work of grief is done, the wound of loss will heal, and you will have learned to wean your eyes from that gap in the air, and be able to enter the hearth in your soul where your loved one has awaited your return all the time.